Hello, everybody, and thank you for listening to Mind Your Own Karma today. I had the pleasure of talking to Jamie Shipman. She's a Christian post-op transsexual woman who struggled with her gender identity from the time she was three years old. Her disparity caused her to suffer years of conflict and depression trying to be what others expected her to be. It even led her to trying to end her life several times by suicide, twice just during her teenage years. As a man, she managed to build a successful life for herself, including raising two sons as a single parent, earning three college degrees, and was a chemistry supervisor at a nuclear power station. The whole time, she never knew she was transgender, but following the death of her father, her disparity led her to finally seek professional help, and this was when she discovered what it meant to be born transgender. Knowing that she could no longer go on living unless she did something, she risked losing everything in her life just for a chance to be healed. And through her loss, she finally found herself and was finally freed from a long life battle with her gender identity, and now lives totally as a woman, sharing her love for others and enjoying each day as if it was her last. So as you listen to Jamie's story today, I just want you to reflect on when you see a transgender person, what automatically do you think? What labels... And things are you already thinking about that person without even knowing them? And I, speaking personally, I had a lot of misconceptions and I felt like I really got educated today. So I hope that you listen to Jamie and that it puts a face to a story and makes it more of a person than a transgender. They're real people. They have real feelings. They were just born in the wrong body. So listen to Jamie's story. She's so inspiring. I'm so glad I met her. She's so compassionate and sensitive and very educated and so just sit back and listen to her story and I can pretty much 100% say that your view will probably change in the next hour. So sit back and relax and enjoy the story of Jamie. Well, this is exciting. (laughs) I think we should just start by, you know, um, telling listeners, tell us your story and how you realized that you were transgender. Oh, Okay, well, it's a long story. Do we have enough time to cover it all? Okay, Um, um, I knew I was different from the time I was three years old. And um, I was pretty much professed girl um, all the way up until I was about eight. I was driving my mom crazy. She was going through a lot of stuff and she just didn't want to have to deal with me. She thought I was doing it for attention or whatever because my brother had some issues and he was kind of like her high priority. So um, she had my dad top set me down and explain to me why I couldn't be a girl. And it was kind of shocking to me because up until that point, my dad was always pretty accepting of me and was very supportive. But, you know, he laid out and said, well, this is why you can't be a girl. And it's like, 
I had no idea. It was just totally caught me off guard. I mean, I didn't realize it was that difference. And because I grew up with brothers, you know, and they, I thought everybody looked the same. I didn't understand. <laughs> but um, it, it was the beginning of what I would call gender dysphoria. Now, can you define that? Because I think a lot of people don't know what that means. Okay. Gender dysphoria is kind of a feeling of hopelessness. It's like something's not right about you and there's nothing you can do about it. And and it's, it gives you that just an ultimate feeling of hopelessness. There's no way out. And you try to accept it. You say, well, you know, it's the way it is and I have to deal with it and I have to accept it. But it's it just doesn't ever go away. And it creates a, a lot of anxiety and depression. Um, and depending on how bad the dysphoria is, I mean, it can drive you to suicide because it's, you know, in a way, it's a lot like depression. Depression really is hopelessness. And and that's why a lot of people can't, when someone wants to cheer them up and say, oh, come on, it's not that bad, you know, you can get over this. And, you know, but they can't accept it because they've already been conditioned inside themselves. It's like there's no way out. It's all dark and there's no opening. And so dysphoria is kind of like that, only it's directed toward your gender of being who you are. And I really didn't have any reason to not, you know, want to be a boy. I mean, I had nothing against boys, except they were a bit more messy than I was. But <laughs> I really, I didn't have a problem with boys. It was just that I, this is who I knew I was. And whenever I was out with other people, I found that I, I communicated and connected with girls easy. And we just thought a lot alike and we acted the same, you know. So it, it just, for me growing up, it's like, well, if you if you see two people standing there and one's dressed in pink and, and you know, has a bow in her hair and another one is wearing jeans and a T-shirt, you know, who's going to be more like me? And so I found that I was always hanging out with the girls because they were always just like I was. And the boys always kind of picked on me for that. Then what they treated you before is just a friend. So it wasn't, it isn't anything to do with sex, you know, sexuality or anything like that. It just has to do with who we are. And I never really understood it. But see, my dad kind of convinced me that I was kind of delusional, you know, <laughs> get that look on my eyes. So, you know, I didn't have a choice, but accept it. So I thought, you know, well, okay, you know, if I got to be like anybody, I want to be like my dad because he's pretty cool. And so I tried really hard and I would go to school and I would try to force myself to get involved with the boys and try to be part of the group. And I just felt more and more rejection. It just, they, it was like we're on different wavelengths and I could never connect with them. And I, it got to the point where I became so dysphoric and depressed that I went back to my dad at the age of 10 and told him that I wanted to die. I just felt so bad. And that was the first time I ever saw him angry at me. He just, exploded and said grow up and be a man you know and basically told me where to go on that and it was the last thing that I really wanted to hear I needed someone to put their arms around me and help me because I was really struggling so I kind of like felt really ashamed and so I promised myself I'd never bring it up again and I never did to him or my mom I just tried really hard to be what everyone expected but I didn't realize how bad it was going to get because when I entered puberty my body started changing and 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 instead of being happy with the changes like most guys are when they 
you know, get these muscles, you know, and the deeper voice. And they got this huge beard. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, you know, they were like all excited about all the masculine changes, you know. But to me, it was like it was just tearing me to pieces. It was like my body was leaving me and I couldn't connect with myself anymore. And it got so bad that when I was 14, I tried to kill myself. Mm. And I didn't really get any support from my parents. They pretty much threatened to have me locked up unless I, you know, changed and stuff like that. So I tried really hard to blend and try to do what they wanted me to do. But by the time I hit 17, it was just overwhelming. And I tried again to end my life. And this is the closest I ever came to dying. And, you know, I really think that I would never have made it had not been for the fact that I found God earlier in my life. And he kind of helped me through my hard times because he knew where I was. But I lived most of my life in denial. You know, I, I mapped it all out. I know everywhere in the land of denial. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, but that's kind of like, the you know, I, I at one time, you know, I tried marriage right off right after I committed, tried to commit suicide. At 17, I said, well, maybe if I got married, that would straighten me out. And I, I really were you when you got married. I was 17. And, wow. And I was too young to get married, actually. But I, I was desperate, you know, and I figured well, maybe it would straighten me out. And I really wasn't attracted to girls. I love being around girls, you know, but just not in that way. Right. So I just walked up to a friend and said, hey, would you like to get married? And she's like, OK. <laughs> so, well, I said, I'm not old enough, so well, she said, well, you can go to North Carolina. You can get married in North Carolina at a younger age. I said, okay, let's go. So we jumped in the car and went to North Carolina. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And your so parents we got know? married, of course. I told, they didn't know until we got back. And they were, like, totally blown away. It's like, well, welcome to the family, whoever you, you are. You are probably kind of relieved, though, right? I mean, in a way. Yeah, they were like, figure, well, we're rid of her now, or him. <laughs> rid of him now. Well, so we that you got married, so they maybe thought, oh, well, you know, you're over trying to be a, you know, a girl, and yeah, so yeah. maybe there was some relief there, even though it was shocking. <laughs> oh, well, it was definitely shocking to them, but you know, they figured, hey, it was just, you know, I would, I don't have to deal with with him anymore. I, I use the word him because they never saw me as a her. Right. So, but the marriage didn't last very long because I found that sexual orientation is a, is a lot more about, you know, that stuff down there than it is about love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so it didn't last long and I had a really bad experience and it and I kind of like fell away for a long time. I got into drugs and alcohol and, you know, I really hit rock bottom there for a while into my mid 20s. And then I just I finally, you know, somehow. I got a spark to try to rebuild my life because I figured things weren't going anywhere and it didn't look very hopeful. And so I started studying really hard and working hard to, you know, build my life up. And I went back to school and then uh, I did good in school and, and I got a job working in the nuclear field and I continued my education and I ended up, you know, working for many years in the nuclear industry as much, even to the point where I was a supervisor at a nuclear power plant. And, which is a big difference from where I was from nothing to, you know, making a six figure salary and having people under me. Did you transition during that time or was it after you left? It was kind of like a combination. 
because I was I was living at the time and I was working full time as a supervisor, working 60, 70 hours a week. It was a lot of stress, a lot of involvement. And then my father passed away. And when my father passed away, it was kind of like it was my my world came crashing down because I had spent my whole life trying to live up to his expectations. You know, that's the trouble when people shame you. The ones that shame you are the ones you're always trying to impress. You know, it's like you're hoping to gain something back from them. But I never got it. I never. Yeah. But when he passed away, it was like there wasn't any anything anymore. And it's like my whole world crashing. And I started dealing with anxiety and and panic attacks and and then spontaneous thoughts of suicide. I could be driving home from work after a good day and all of a sudden just get the desire to drive into a tree. And it's like I was shaking so bad I couldn't deal with it because at the time I was remarried. You know, in my, I actually had been through three marriages, the third one. And I had two sons that I had raised from a, a single parent from my middle, from the second marriage. And I had four grandchildren and I was, and, and I loved them, you know, and I cared about them and I didn't want to hurt anybody. So I really didn't know what to do. So I went to a psychologist. And when they explained to me what, what being transgender was all about, it was like somebody turned a light on in my head. It's like, oh my God, all this time I've been like denying this and I've been living this lie trying to deal with my problems. I even got to the point where I was taking estrogen over from overseas pharmacies without a prescription for eight years because it was like a, a pain pill, you know, like a, you know, a headache for a Tylenol. It was like I was trying to deal with my problem and I didn't know any other way of doing it. And how did that feel? Did it make a big difference taking the hormones? Well, yeah. And so that's why some cross-dress, you know, things like that, because it actually relieves some of the, the pain because they don't see themselves when they see themselves, you know, more as who they know, they know they are inside. It make, it gives them a little bit more peace. Now, but, I'm going to ask you, you know, I, the transgender, there's such a broad range because there's people that have had surgery and have totally yeah. transitioned. And then there's people that, like you said, just dress the part. So yeah. is there kind of degrees of, you know, transgender? And then is it within that, is there... Um, people that kind of judge, you know, like say you did have the surgery and do they look at the ones that are just kind of cross-dressing and are they kind of like, well, you're not really transgender because you haven't like totally transitioned? Well, that's a good question. In fact, I wanted to kind of go that direction a little bit because um, transgender is considered a blanket term. And a blanket term is people whose gender identity or gender expression is not what's typical for their gender assigned at birth. So anybody that shows an, a gender expression that can be different than what most, you know, most guys are or whatever, you know, they're considered transgender. But only a small percentage of those people are what we call transsexuals. Okay. We've got lost in the mix. What happened was if someone created a folder, and they said, well, what are we going to put in here? Let's just dump them all in there. We don't know where they go. We'll just dump them all into this folder. So, you know, transsexuals only make up about 0.8% of transgender people. And transsexuals know that they're the wrong biological sex. It's something that real to them that they have to get it fixed. 
And so transsexuals pursue changing their sexual, their sex, where, you know, originally, you know, a lot of the, you know, the doctors started recognizing transsexuals in the beginning and were giving them surgery. And then a lot of transgender people are the people who did not like being called transsexuals because they said, I like what I've got down there between my legs. I ain't removing it. So they, so they, you know, wanted their own terminology because they didn't want to be considered transsexual. So it kind of like warped into like a generic term. Yeah. And we, you know, it's same way as they take transgender and they throw it all under the LGBTQ, which means that now we're under the group with gay, lesbians, and bisexuals. <laughs> so everyone sees transgender as nothing more than gay cross-dressers. That's well, I mean, for, that's what we all thought a long time ago with, when you heard that was just people dressing the other sex. I mean, that's yeah. what we always called it. And we didn't know there was all these other, you know, like you said, in this one folder, all these other groups and people in there. Uh-huh. So, you know, we kind of got lost in the mix and the people that are hurting, you know, in schools and stuff. And the younger kids are those that are really struggling with dysphoria. And with being the fact that they are transsexual, but they're struggling with their identity and they're and they're not getting looked at. And see, for me, when I transition, you know, going through puberty, a lot of people don't realize this, but about 90 percent of our appearance, you know, sexual appearance is comes about in puberty. We, you know, we that's where we develop, you know, facial hair, our bone structures, you know, our breasts, all, all that stuff comes about during puberty. And it has a big impact on us, especially some of the the changes are permanent and there's nothing you can do about it. And so I like to have humongous hands, big feet, and, and I was tall, you know, and and so it, it really hinders your feelings of being connected with who you are. Well, I mean, that age is you're so vulnerable as it is, you know, impressionable and just worried about how you look and everything. So I can't imagine having that on top of, you know, just being a seventh and eighth grader or, you know, um, so how, I mean, it must feel like your body's kind of betraying you in a way. And so how do you react to that? Because like nothing you could do really. Yeah. Growing up my case, it was like, I started abusing my body and I started, you know, cutting and hurting myself. And, and, um, and then I start, well, I tried suicide twice because I, I just didn't feel like I was alive anymore. And even after I made it through high school and survived, I never really felt connected with life because our body represents our life. And if we're not really connected to it, it's like looking at the world through a one way glass. It's like we're not really there. And I, I lived my whole life just trying to do what people expected me to do. I was just a servant to, you know, whatever the circumstances were. Right. How old were you when you heard that term? You said you went to counseling and heard the term transgender and found out, you know, really what that entailed. So how old were you when that happened? I was 63 years old. Wow. 63 years old. All my life, I I completely had blinders on. I was convinced that my problem was all psychological. And that there was nothing that could be done about it. There was no way to heal. And I never even looked in the other direction because to me, there was no other option. 
And when I finally got to the point where I just could not go on another day without hurting the ones I love, I figured I had to do something. And so I went and said, well, you know, I do have this problem and I don't know if it's really a problem, but I just thought I'd discuss it, you know, and I'd never told anyone. In fact, I had so many desire growing up to cut that thing off. And it's like I said, I can't do that. If I did, everyone would know what my problem was. (laughs) It'd be easier just to commit suicide. Then I could just go in peace and nobody would ever know. Oh, my goodness. So um, did you feel like some kind of responsibility when you finally did come out to like your kids or your friends, the people around you that you weren't authentic to and how it would affect them afterwards? Did you feel any like guilt about that or how did you feel all the time, honey, all the time? And, you know, coming out, especially with somebody that I had a lot of prestige. In fact, I ended up losing a job making over $160,000 a year because I came out. And, you know, and I could understand where they're coming from because being in the position I was, they, you know, your people under you have to have respect for you. And if they don't feel like they respect you, they're not going to can make a much more difficult arrangement. So I lost a lot of opportunity that I had. So, but, you know, I, I knew what I had to do when I first came out. It was scary, humbling to say the least, because, you know, I, I had to risk everything. But I did it all because I wanted just a chance to be healed. I wanted a chance to actually connect with life. And when I did, it was just amazing. It was like so healing. I can't begin to tell you. It was just just so much. It was like coming home to yourself. I never really loved others because I never really could love myself. So now I have such a more a big compassion toward other people and what they go through. But, you know, I lost a lot. I mean, my wife, you know, walked out on me and and I even like said, well, look, you know, because I, I, you know, I told her what was going on and she never really understood. She felt like I'd been lying to her all my life. I said, no, I've been lying to me. Right. (laughs) You know, I just figured it out because I was like worried that my depression was going to drive you away. And and I said, you know, if you want, I won't do this. I won't transition. I will you know, find some way to deal with it, because at least now I know what my problem is. And she just said, no, I, you lied to me, and I really don't want anything to do with you. So she wanted a divorce. So, you know, I just, you know, gave her whatever she wanted, you know, and we ended it. And it's sad, because I've seen a lot of marriages like in like that. Usually, though, there's some that make it, but you know, when you, I could never expect her to stay with me, because the relationship completely changed. And all the the slate was wiped clean. The chalkboard was wiped clean, you know? So it's like, you know, and I can't expect her to want to be a lesbian, you know? Because <laughs> no more than I, she could expect me to be a man. So coming to terms with that is hard, you know, for a lot of people. But it's given me such a burden for, you know, the spouses. And I, I spend a lot of time helping spouses of transgender people because I love both of them. And I know what it's like and I know the struggles, but, you know, a lot of a lot of guys have this idea that wives have to be committed to their husbands. You know, it's like, well, your responsibility is to love me no matter what. Yes. But it goes the other way around. How many guys would stay with their wives if they walked up and said, well, I'm really a guy. 
I'm going to, I'm going to change my sex for you to stay with me. That's got to be hard because they're in love with the person and you, I mean, you know, the core, you're still the same person, but then that's tough because you are, but you're not. So yeah, yeah, that would be really, really tough. How long were you married the last time? I was, I was married 10 years and I really, I really loved my wife, even though I wasn't really sexually attracted to women and I, but I thought I was. That's what I was supposed to be. Right. But I never really knew. But um, but I really loved her. And we traveled around the world and we were in a picture of Turkey behind me. That was one of the destinations we went to. And, and actually, that was a honeymoon destination. Oh. Um, and, you know, we just we had a wonderful time and a lot of experiences. And I treasure all those moments. And even if I could go back in time and undo it, I still would have went through it because. You know, she was a big part of my life and I miss her. But, you know, it's just you have to life never stays the same. It just goes on. That's true. You know, what would you tell people going through what you what you went through that are scared to come out because of, you know, how it's going to affect people in their lives? So you've got the people in your lives and the expectations, but then you've got living authentically and happy. Right. So what would you tell somebody that's maybe struggling with that? What would you say? Oh, yeah. Well, I saw so much of it, Connie, because when I first transitioned, I had no idea what it meant to be trans or how to transition. I had no clue whatsoever. I was like really walking down a road that I'd never been before. And so I, um, I went, I joined one of these support groups. Somebody told me about a transgender support group. And so I went to this support group because I figured, well, they can help me, you know, because there's people there that are in different stages of transition. And when I walked in and I saw the people there and talked to them, I got so discouraged. I wanted to run home and burn my dress. (laughs) Why? Well, because a lot of them, you know, started their transition and got stuck on, on the fence. And they were so afraid to let go of their lives to start anew that they never were really happy. There's nothing worse than living on the fence. You either go all the way or just go back to where you were. But living on the fence is horrible. Yes. And these people, I mean, I, I went and I, I still went, you know, and and I did learn a lot of stuff. But I transitioned completely in less than 14 months. Wow. They were still there in the same place they were when I left miserable complaining some of them didn't even dress in women's clothes anymore they just showed up at the meetings you know <laughs> living as a guy and they all they did was talk about how miserable they were it's like you know you gotta go forward you can't live in the past so i mean you definitely would tell somebody that it's worth it so yeah it's worth it you know i lost my wife i lost my job my career I mean, I had a 35-year career in the nuclear industry, and I can't get a job in it anywhere anymore. And I was, like, really good at it. In fact, I know stuff a lot of people don't even begin to know because I, like, dedicated myself 100% to doing stuff because it kept my mind preoccupied. So I even learned how to program and wrote all kinds of programs used in the nuclear industry today for monitoring releases, you know, reporting. I even worked at Three Mile Island after the nuclear accident. They set me up there to monitor releases from the plant. Wow. So, I mean, I've been around for a while, 
But I, I lost all that. I lost all my friends walking out on me. And a lot of my family abandoned me. My parents disowned me. Well, my, my, my dad already passed away. My mom didn't want anything to do with me. She just cut me off completely. You know, and my brother just says, I don't want anything to do with it. You know, it's like, hey, well, it happens to be your, your sibling. Now, what about your children? Oh, they've been great. You know, you know, I raised my sons as a single parent, and they were like taken back. One of them, the younger one, was a little sketchy. So they, they, they were kind of like wondering if they should have. They the have kid. no clue. I mean, or did they have a clue? But weren't expecting well, to, you know. You know, I asked my older son that. Yeah, I asked my older son. And he said, yeah, I always kind of suspected it. But, you know, a lot of them, a lot of people don't think of transgender. They don't even go that way, you know, way. So to them, they were kind of blindsided in it. But my my older son said, yeah, I could see it, you know, in you all the time because you were always more mother than a dad. And I said, well, yeah, because I care so much about you guys. Do they, what, do they call you mom or dad? They what call me grandkids, dad. Grandkids call you grandma, right? No, well, my, my, my sons, you know, I, I used to joke about this. It's like, they don't know whether to call me mom or dad. So they call me mad, you know, mom and dad, <laughs> <laughs> but no, they, they call me dad because that's all they've known me growing up. And, and it's okay with me, you know, cause I was their dad and, and I, in a way I was their mom too, cause I was a single parent, but my grandchildren call me grandma and they totally love me. In fact, my um, one six-year-old granddaughter was with my uh, younger son, and they were visiting his wife's father in lives out way out in Nebraska somewhere. And and uh, she came up to my my son and said, uh, "Daddy, is Grandpa Marvin your daddy?" And my son said, "No, my daddy's Grandma Jamie." And she thought for a second. She said, "I like your daddy so much more." <laughs> oh, cute. <laughs> so did they really need time to kind of adjust or like I mean you know like I guess they kind of knew but there's people probably that were kind of blindsided that hopefully decided to stay so you kind of have to give them that room to um how do you want to say it um adjust their expectation of who you were and who you are now well most of the people didn't give me a chance most of the friends that I had just basically cut me off cold. They, it's called ghosting, you know, it's like, but I'm still alive. Even my, even my ex posted on Facebook a picture of me pre-op, you know, be, before I transitioned and, and labeled herself as widowed. It's like, wait a minute, I'm still here. <laughs> I'm not dead. Wow. It's a shame that you know, people are associated with shame. And there was only one couple that I was really kind of close to before. We were friends, not real close. And they stayed with me and supported me even when I transitioned. And they pulled me aside one time at, at a party and they said, you know, we really didn't know Jim all that well, but I really like Jamie so much more. <laughs> that was nice. I'm happy. I'm happy. And I'm really and I'm not trying to be like flamboyant or crazy. I just, I love life. And I'm finally happy with just being who I am. But my greatest goal and desire is just to be a girl. You know, when I go out in the world, I don't tell people I'm trans. Yeah. The only tell people I'm trans is when I'm trying to write on Cora and help people that are struggling. 
or, you know, helping su- with support groups. But in the world, I just want to be seen as a girl, a woman. And everyone, and there was one time where someone kind of outed me at this one gathering and, and I, they said, you know, we know about you. And I said, Oh, oh, really? And they said, yeah, we read some stuff you've written about yourself. And we were really impressed because, you know, you weren't like, you know, this pride thing, like I'm run trans, you know, and I'm so much powerful, you know, trans power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said, no, I said, you know, trans was only a way for me to be who I am. It wasn't a destination. It was, it was a, a journey to get to be where I needed to be. I said, you know, I'm just a woman inside and I've always been that. And that's all I ever want to be. I don't want to be anything other than that. And I said, you know, I told him a little bit about my life and I said, you know, you would really bless me if you just wouldn't talk about it anymore. And just, if you want to be my friend, just be my friend as the woman I am, yeah. and I, and you know, and that's all I ever want. Yeah. And, you know, and you're having to relearn stuff because, you know, when you're growing up, you don't really learn what it's like being a woman because you're I was forced to learn what it was like being a guy, which wasn't me. But I tried. I thought I was like I thought I figured it out pretty good, but I wasn't really that good. At it. Well, it sounded like you figured it out pretty quick. <laughs> you know, you kind of like don't have much choice. But when you know, when I when I finally realized my problem in transition, it's like. I want to know everything there is to know about being a girl. I want to go back, experience everything because I cannot really relate to other people unless I know what it's like going, what they go through. And I've learned so much and about gender and, you know, struggles that men and women both have and this, and what they go through. So it's in a way, it's kind of opened me up to a, a whole lot better understanding of life in general. So what did the transition look like from the time you went to the counselor and found out what transgender was to your surgery. Um, what did that journey look like? Um, well, I mean, you know, the first thing you do is you figure, well, you know, I've got to like, I went, actually what I did is like, I, I knew once I realized I was trans, I knew the one thing that I, I had to have in my life to fix my life was to get that thing fixed down below. <laughs> that was the most important. So I said, well, you know, if I don't have to come out and I could just like get that done, then I could just live my life as a guy and nobody would ever know <laughs> because I would know who I was, you know? So I had this idea, well, maybe I could just get the surgery. And so I called around all over the place. I even called overseas and it was like, I had a quarter of a million dollars sitting in my bank account. Okay. I wasn't, I wasn't exactly poor. I was pretty well off. And I, and I, I was like, I'll do anything, you know, what would it, co- would it take? And they wouldn't touch me because they're uh, what they call WPATH, which is the World Health uh, Professional Organization for Transgender Health. They have guidelines set up you have to follow and in order to get surgery. And so it's like, I've got to live as a woman for a year. <laughs> it's like, you're kidding me. Hey, before you went to the counselor and everything, you didn't even know that surgery was an option. Well, I... I didn't, I did after I found out about being transgender, I started realizing that I, they had these services, they had hormones. Well, I knew about the hormone stuff. You know, I knew that there, you could get hormones and I did, but I didn't really know everything about it, but I did find out about the surgery, you know, and it was pretty remarkable surgery. It's very, I mean, you can't tell the difference, but, um, but I wanted the surgery so bad, but I realized, you know, I couldn't do it. So I had to live as a woman for a year and I was always terrified 
when I was a teenager that I'd never be passable. It's like, I could just see me going down the street, you know, this tall, brawny guy, you know, <laughs> wearing a dress. <laughs> and so I was so worried about that. So I told my son, it's like, well, I got to live as a woman for a year. And then I'll get the surgery and then I'll go back and be a guy, you know. <laughs> and I, I kind of convinced them. I, I was convincing myself. Yeah. And so I, I went to Goodwill, you know, and got some clothes. And of course, all the clothes there are out of style. <laughs> you don't want to wear out of style clothes. And you finally get to wear something. <laughs> I was like, where did you get that dress? Was that like a 1920s? <laughs> well, it might have been. It was a good vintage. Vintage dress. So anyway, I started dressing, you know, and I, my wife actually went with me. And the first time I ever went out in public in a dress, we went to Walmart, you know, because at Walmart, you know, anybody goes in and anything. <laughs> so I got all dressed up, you know, and it looked like a glamour queen, you know, going to Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I was standing there at Walmart and I was like sweating like crazy. And my wife looks over at me and I'm white as a ghost. She said, what's wrong with you? And I said, well, I'm worried people are going to think that I'm like weird or something. And she said, oh, Pushaw, nobody notices you unless you're like stuffing your pockets full of merchandise. <laughs> so you had to learn how to put makeup on. and Oh, or, yeah. I mean, yeah. had you not done any of that? Like, No, nothing, honey, nothing. My wife put together a little chart saying, you do this, 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 and this. And she said, and she said, I use concealer. And it's like, okay. And then I go, I say, oh, what's concealer? <laughs> 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 I didn't know any of that. But it was like a crash course in being a girl. And you kind of like forced into it. But after she told me that, you know, about just relax and be, you know, just go to the store and just be yourself. And after that, everything kind of changed and I, I saw a different outlook and it didn't bother me anymore. And within a week, I was like totally at peace with myself. And I started feeling all that depression and anxiety gone. And it was just, you know, once I realized that I could never go back. Yeah. I even tried to put on men's clothes and I started getting so dysphoric that it I couldn't handle the anxiety. So stuck. <laughs> There's no turning back now. <laughs> no, no, no turning back. So when you have to live as a woman for a year, how do you, how do they know you're actually doing that? How do they know you're not going home and just, you know, doing yeah. thing? Well, when you, when you go, uh, when you go to psych, you know, psychiatrist, first of all, that's your, that's your key is your psychologist. Um, you got to go through therapy in order to get medical transition. There's just no way around it. Yeah. Therapy yeah. is critical and you have to actually have two letters. One from uh, a therapist and one with a PhD or higher. Mm-hmm. And so I had actually had two. I had a letter from a, a psychologist, uh, a letter from ther- from a psychiatrist, and uh, then letters from a doctor because my endocrinologist, who was also an OGBYN, and then I also had a letter from my primary care doctor. When I started hormones after being on them for just about a month. My my um, OGBYN doctor gave me a certified letter that I was officially transitioning my sex, you know, and my gender. And I used that letter along with my name change document because I had to go to court and file court documents and go up for the judge and they'll say, well, why are you changing your name? <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't seem, James does not go with me. <laughs> no. 
So, you know, all these legal documents, and then you can start changing things like your driver's license, which I was always terrified, you know, that I'd be driving, you know, around and, and they'd pull me over and look at this, like, who's this? Are you like still somebody's <laughs> I was terrified. <laughs> and, and then and then to make it worse, women's restrooms, you know, according to the rules, you have to live full time as your gender identity for a year. Full time means you have to use the bathrooms, too, you know, and that was really hard. So I just didn't go. <laughs> now, how do women? Well, I guess they just go in the stall because they can't they can't go. Yeah. At a urinal, I mean, they, you know, but they have to still go in the bathroom, I guess. And yeah, but there's a time when you when you can go in a urinal, you know, until you get that thing wiped off. Yeah, so you, there's a time where you can, but you know, I could not go in. Uh, I, I just I couldn't go in public women's restrooms. In fact, I would avoid them, and I would try to go home to the bathroom at home, and I would avoid going to the bathroom because. I felt like I didn't want to put anyone, make anyone feel uncomfortable. You yeah. Know? If for some reason they said, you know, she looks kind of rare, kind of strange. I didn't want to do that. But there was one time where I was like really stuck and I didn't have a choice. And that was the day I had to go to the court to speak to the judge, you know, to get my uh, granting my name change. <laughs> and it was like, I'm all dressed up, you know, looking nice. And it's like, there's no way I'm going to go in the women's room like this. Do you think people could still, t- could they tell? Like, I mean. No, most people don't care. Really, they don't. A lot of people make a big deal about it. Most of the people that make a big deal about it are men. Okay. You, what, you know, who who would feel more safer? A, a person dressed in a woman's clothes like me walking into the men's room? I think like, <laughs> are they afraid of me? I don't think so. <laughs> their masculinity gets, you know, their ego well, gets in the way there. Yeah, that's the crazy thing. Cause, you know, men have a very, they're very homophobic. You know, it's terrible. I mean, I have dated guys and, you know, and I never really even knew what my sexual orientation was because I was so confused growing up. You know, it was always a battle. And there was times, you know, even when I was younger, it's like I would look over and I'd see a really, a uh, really hot guy and I'd say, Wow, if I was a girl, I'd go for him in a heartbeat, Daddy. I'd joke him and stuff. Yeah. But you know, I wasn't, and you know, and I couldn't deal with the idea. I didn't, I didn't want to go to like gay or anything like that. It just wasn't me. But you know, and then again, I mean, I only went with women because I figured, well, it's just like going to work. Were you attracted to men growing up, even as a child? Mm, yeah, no, I don't know. It's kind of a tough situation. See, my problem was is that I wanted. When my dad told me who I was supposed to be, I wanted more than anything in my life just to be normal. I just wanted to be a normal person. And, you know, gay was not normal to me. Sexual attraction to boys for a boy just to me wasn't normal. And I really, I didn't want to go there. I wanted to do whatever it is that I was expected to do, even to the point of marrying women when I wasn't really attracted to them. Because we do things in our lives all the time that we don't necessarily want to do. Right. They, they have a baby. This is what you got to do. You know, and I wanted a family more than anything when I was growing up. I mean, that's all I ever wanted to be was a mommy and have lots of babies. Yeah. So that's the other question was, what are you, what's your advice to parents of children nowadays? How can they raise a child in an environment where that child feels safe to reveal themselves without any shame, guilt, 
or expectation. Yeah, it all starts from having support from home. You know, your parents need to be a safe place. And a lot of parents are scared because they're afraid, well, if I do this, I'm going to lose out on grandchildren. If I if I encourage this behavior, they, they don't understand that it's, it's, it's not really a choice. Who we are, if we're, you know, if we're like this, if we're, we're born with this, you know, uh, problem, the only way to deal with it is to help us, not like stand between us. I mean, my parents tried to stand between me and maybe in a way they helped, but I almost died from it. Yeah. And my life was miserable. And even though I did succeed in having sons, you know, and my granddaughters and stuff, and I don't regret that, I would go back and do it all over again just for them. But, you know, I almost died. And it wasn't, I don't know, you know, where do you draw the line? So what would you, what would you say to parents? I mean, if your child comes to you and, you know, says, I feel like, you know, I'm a girl or a boy or, you know, the opposite. What would, what should they say to them? I mean, just let them, you know, let them dress and be who they are at home and let them just be comfortable with themselves and they'll find themselves. Yeah. You know, I I really think it's important. A lot of people don't realize that transgender, I mean, there's a big difference between men and women, even though we all say, oh, we're not any different. We're all just, you know, we're just here, you know, whatever body you're in, you know, you just learn to live with it. They think that that's all about socialization, but there is a big difference between the way men and women think. And, and, and I, I knew it, you know, in a very early age. In fact, there's been psychiatrists that said they found that even babies laying in the crib are different. And they've noticed it, that girls have a tendency to be moved by faces, but boys have a tendency to be uh, moved by mobiles and uh, spiral things, you know, because it's the way they think. Girls end up playing with dolls and stuff is because they, it, they connect with people, but with faces where boys are more interested in trucks and mechanical things and stuff like that because they're spiral skills. So even an infant has some differences, you know, and then, you know, but they they both can be pretty honorary, whether they're a boy or a girl, because my granddaughter's always trying to stuff plastic spiders on me because she knows how much I hate them. (laughs) So what would you say is some of the, or even just one like big misconception that society has about the transgender people? Well, the fact is, is that, you know, when somebody, a cisgender person, I, I use the term cis, but it just means a non-trans person. I was going to say, can you tell has, us what that is? Because I had to look yeah. that up. I, <laughs> well, cis just means, you know, one. And so when someone is born into the world, they don't have a disparity between their gender and who they are and their identity. So they're like one. But when someone's trans, it means that it's opposite of their biological sex. So cis is just a terminology. It's a scientific term, you know, and, and so it's, it just really means all those that are non-trans. So it means so, you identify with the genetics you were born with. Yeah. You just, that you're, you're, you don't have a problem with your biological sex. It's like, okay. it's okay. It's the way I am. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you know, you're in school and someone says, um, girls on the left side, boys on the right. Well, who goes, you know, no one says that you're a girl, but you just know. And and then they'd look around and say, where's Jimmy at? Oh, he's over there with the girls. 
Well, I just, you told me to go. Right? <laughs> and, you know, of course, they would call my parents, like, you need something about this boy. Oh, my goodness. So I, I interrupted you. I'm sorry. So no, that's okay. The misconception, the misconception you were going to tell me. Well, the misconception is that they, they think transgender is just a choice, but it isn't really a choice. The choice we have is whether to live or die, because that's where it ends up boiling down to. Because if you don't do, if you don't connect with who you are, you basically enter into what they call passive or active suicide. Passive, it just means that you, you, you kind of let yourself go. You don't try. You do everything you can to like, you know, hurt yourself. I mean, it's like you run across the street to see if the car's going to jump out and hit you. But a lot of people, again, they, they characterize trans as just gay, you know, um, gay cross-dressers. And, and I mean, there are gay cross-dressers and, and there are a lot of trans people that are very proud and arrogant and all the way into, into sex and, and sex, sexual orientation has nothing to do with being trans. I mean, I know trans people that are totally attracted to women, some that are attracted to men, and some that are, you know, asexual and don't have any. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it doesn't make a difference who you are, whether you're just a regular person or you're trans, you know. And, you know, I just, I had to find my sexual orientation. And it was hard because I had to push past a lot of programming in my life. But when I did, it was like, Oh my God, now I know why all these people are playing around so much. Well, I think, I think society always see are the people that are out there, you know, not the ones like you that just want to live your life and, you know, just do your thing. And, and, but we see all these, you know, that's always, we know. I mean, who knows who's transgender around us? We don't really, you might not even know, you know. But I have, there are yeah. these ones that are crazy and out there. And so you do think it's just a choice and that people do it just for attention and yeah. you know that kind of thing. But but really, that's not the case. See, I, I've known transgender women. I knew one in particular that was that transitioned back in the 70s and lived her whole life still, which means that she never told anyone she was trans. She she, she basically lived incognito. And she was actually married to a, to a regular guy, genetic guy, for over 20 years. And he never knew that she was trans. And they ended up splitting up, but had nothing to do with gender or anything like that. They just grew apart like, you know, 50% of the other marriages that fail in life, you know. But it had nothing to do with her being, you know, transgender. And the fact is, is that, but yet when I go on a date, guys expect you to wear this big badge saying, I'm trans, you know, don't look at me as a woman, look at me as a guy. And it's like, I didn't go to all this trouble so you can see a guy. Right. Are you crazy? Are you, are you on dating sites? Yeah, I am. And, and, and I've had some really nice guys that like thought I was attractive, you know, and I'm tall and smart and and rich, (laughs) but you know, they, you know, but then I tell them they find out I'm trans and it's like, oh, nothing. I don't want anything to do with you because I don't want to be thought of as gay. It's like, oh, <laughs> wait a minute. So you don't put that on your profile then. Well, I've had to. And there's times where I do. But see, what happens when you do that is that you, you end up dealing with tranny chasers. Mm. Tranny chasers are basically uh, gay men who are living suppressed lives. 
They are they're afraid to come out. And so when they see a trans woman, especially a pre-op, because that's what they're really after. Someone that still has the guy stuff. Yeah, it looks like a girl. I could be with a woman and get all the guy stuff I want and no one would ever know the difference. So it's really abusive toward trans women because they're not seeing us for who we really are. But the sex industry, you know, there's pre-op trans women can make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in that industry. But until they get surgery, then nobody wants them. Then nobody wants to see it. (laughs) You have what? Oh, you got rid of it? Never mind. I'll call somebody else. Oh, my goodness. So you are writing a book, though, correct? Yes, I am. And I'm actually got a couple of books. I'm my 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 primary goal was to write my romance novel. I've got a beautiful romance novel and I've talked to a lot of people about it and I want to get it out. But then I'm hit with other things, you know, dealing with trans and and the one I'm working on right now. It's it's basically saying, God, help me not hurt the ones I love. And and, and what I wanted to do, what it's relating to is how much that uh, trans people do hurt the ones they love unintentionally. And how we can be more compassionate for those. Because a lot of guys expect women, especially their wives, is like, well, you're supposed to love me. You know, you said you love me, and yet they're not attracted to women. And it's like what you're telling them is like, deny your sexual orientation because your love for me is supposed to be greater. And it's like, no, honey, it's a clean slate. You got to start all over again in the relationship. You got to make her want to love you. Right. But I mean, how often do you see that the person stays? I mean, it probably isn't often. I, I've seen it. It isn't it isn't very often. I have seen it. And I and I have to, and I know a lot of trans couples right now that are struggling, you know, with their husband coming out. And, you know, there's it's the same thing. It's the sexual orientation. And, you know, I'm trying to help them through it, too, because, you know, they got to realize, first of all, you know, a lot of these husbands think you know, that they're in charge, you know, that they always have this idea of men are born with this automatic male, what they call it, masculine privilege or male privilege. Mm-hmm. And they don't even know what it is. No, but it, it's real. And it basically is, is that men are born into the world thinking that they are elevated above women and that they, whatever they say goes. Yep. And so they expect women to jump when they tell them to jump. And and women should never be like that. It should be an equal footing. And when you're in a marriage, a lot of these trans women, when they transition, they still want to hold on to these privileges saying like, well, you know, you've got to do this and you got to do that and you got to do this. It's like, wait a minute, honey, you're a girl now. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it doesn't work that way anymore. Right. That. Yeah. I mean, I learned that after I got divorced. I was like, nobody, you know. I'm not going to be that submissive female anymore. It, you know, I don't want my daughter to, you know, see that either, you know, not not being the greatest role model there. So I'm glad, I'm glad that I got out of that and I changed. Um, But yeah, even now I'm, you know, very independent, but also very dependent on my boyfriend that I've had for 11 years. You just got to have that balance. Well, when you love someone, you do things because you want to, not because you have to. Right, exactly. You know, but when you go and change completely, you know, you've got to start all over again. You just can't expect something. You can't expect love to hold you together when you have all these disparities. Because if they expect, you know, I mean, 
like I said, sexual orientation is no, no, um, no easier to change than it is your gender identity. Mm. You know, you are who you are. I mean, to give you an example, when I found out that I was trans, it was like a light went on in my head. It was like all my life I'd lived in this dark room and someone turned the light and I was like, oh my God, everything in my life made sense. And, 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 and from that moment on, I could not even have sex with my wife. In fact, it grossed me out. I literally got sick to my stomach. <laughs> it's like, I was doing this and I never even <laughs> I can't do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's how real it was. Oh, yeah. And, you know, but I never saw it before. I was like living in this dream world, you know, what, what I was. And don't, like, did you, I think, as, as, and I would probably feel this way too, as the wife, your wife, like, um, like I wasn't enough. I wasn't, yeah, you know, know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I wasn't female enough or I, I don't know. know. I, I know. I know. There's a whole list of things I've gone through in my book or what I'm writing so far about all the different emotions that hit. And a lot of people don't realize that, you know, that even saying I even, I even screwed up because I told my wife, I said, look, I said, if you want, I won't transition. That was controlling. Do you realize how controlling that was? Yeah. I didn't realize it because I was just willing to be open, but I was putting her on the spot. What she was thinking in her mind was, well, then then I'm keeping you back from being who you are. And, And I should never have put her on that spot. And I felt horrible about it afterwards. I never even saw it. Exactly. But you were thinking you were doing her a favor basically by putting it in her hands. Yeah. Vision, you know, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I can see the both sides of that, but I could see where you wouldn't have thought that either at the, in the moment. Well, girls, you know, women have are, are much more emotional. They're much more in touch with their feelings and love. And you should never take that and use it against them. Never use a woman's love against her cruelest thing you can do to a woman is to sit there and put her love on the spot. If you love me, you know, there isn't nothing more cruel than that. Right. Yeah. So I've learned a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I know. know. That's crazy that it's only been what, five years. Yeah. Five years. Wow. Yeah. And you know, it's been an interesting journey. Went through a lot of things and, and I've had relationships and I've been, and I've learned a lot about people. And I know I work, you know, with PFLAG, which is a, a support group for the LGBT, you know, community. Mm-hmm. I kind of help with a hotline, hotline. And, and then I just, I do a lot of things just trying to help, you know, other people. But I'm just, I love being me, you know, I wake up in the morning and I'm no longer depressed. So is there ever a day that you regretted? Yeah, well. I had, when I transitioned, I had one million transition. I only had one reason to do it. I didn't want to die. I, I said to myself, you know, I have plan A. Plan A is to end my life. Plan B is to transition. If it helps, then I won't have to go to plan A. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, that's kind of like the situation. It's like, I was backed up against the wall. You know, I didn't necessarily, I didn't want to transition. I was not a cross-dresser, honey. Well, I, I did some when I was a kid, you know, mm-hmm. 
And, and I, and I did it, you know, when I was a teenager a little bit because I really needed it. And, and it felt so good, but afterwards it was like, oh, I can't go there. <laughs> it was just too much. Yeah. So I avoided it like the plague. Yeah. But, you know, um, but so I wasn't into cross-dressing and I had no clue about what to wear. It was like, I, I managed, you know, now I dress a little more, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you look great. So I'm just surprised that five years well, you said 14 months till you had the surgery. That's yeah. Yeah. That's like from zero, zero to a hundred. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting because all the times when I was little growing up, I mean, when my dad told me why I couldn't be a girl from that point in my life, the only thing that kept me going was I still believed in magic, you know, and I, 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 I wished upon every star, you know, that I, God would turn me into a real girl. You know, I tried stuffing that thing up inside of me and praying every night that it would stay there. And, you know, I would pray to God, you know, please, you know, you know, fix me. And there was a time in my life where I actually believed that I was really in a really a girl and I was in an accident and I was in a coma and I was living this nightmare about being in a boy's body. And it was it was real to me. It was was so real to me, such a struggle. And I kept going to bed at night just. I got to wake up. I got to wake up, you know, and, but you know what, when I uh, had my surgery, when I came out of surgery that day after a seven hour surgery, I woke up and God brought that back to my memory. And he said, you woke up. Wow. And I started crying. I was so happy. I was going to ask that. What happened when you had the surgery? Like when you woke up, how'd you feel? So yeah. Oh, I was so happy, honey. I, the, the first thing I ask is, is it gone? <laughs> I didn't care about <laughs> but I was like, it was just, I was so happy. I just can't begin to tell you. It was, it made such a huge difference in my life. And it was like, you know, it was, it was a start, a start of a new life for me. And, you know, um, it, it, it's so real. Hun. I mean, what I went through was, so real all my life it was a struggle i can't believe that long i know i can't either well i'm pretty stubborn sometimes thank goodness (laughs) i was so stubborn i really couldn't look at anything else i was so convinced i just had to fight it (laughs) i just you know you get to that point where you just can't see it anymore right well there is um I would love to have you back on and talk about some other, you know, topics, Uh Um, you know, like we had talked a little bit like the Christianity aspect Uh and even like the gender reassignment surgeries and um, just talk about how, what, because nobody (laughs) knows how those work, you know, Uh everybody's curious, but um, I did a little research on it and I thought it was very interesting as a healthcare professional, you know, point of view, I was just like, wow, yeah. <laughs> how do they do that? That's crazy. And so it was very, very interesting, but yeah, I mean, I would love to have you back on talking about some of those things and um, even about some of your books. I think you should really write that romance novel. That would be really cool. <laughs> yeah. In fact, it's, it's really, it's, it's quite unique. I would fill you in on it and you'd say, Oh my God, I want to read it. <laughs> I do. I want to read it already without knowing anything. 
So I have a lot, I do a lot, a lot of writing. I get sidetracked with Cora because, you know, I've written 3,400 answers. You have, you have. Yeah, some Everything, of them. That's what impressed me was, you know, you could have gone on there because some of the questions, you know, I don't know if I could have um, answered them in a loving way like you do. Oh. I think I probably would have reacted more than been understanding. And I, that's what I saw in your responses was the understanding, um, at, to where, wherever that person was at, you know, mm-hmm. instead of getting, um, you know, angry or irritated or, you know, why are you asking that stupid question or whatever? That's dumb. You know, um, there was just a lot of compassion in your um, responses. Thank you. Thank yeah. You. Yeah. And I, I just, that, I mean, yeah, I probably, binged a lot of for a couple hours in all your responses and I got sucked in I was like what's this yeah well my faith isn't based on on religious views it's based on love you know and and what real love is real about love doesn't want to hurt people yeah you know love wants to help people and I and that's that's my heart's desire is to help people and to love people you know and not everybody understands stuff that so, comes across though in your responses. It really does. So you're yeah. you're you're doing it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. But it don't always start out that way. Sometimes I feel like, ooh, I want to blast them. No, I bet. I bet. But you don't do it. I haven't seen it. <laughs> I no, I, I, you know, but sometimes it's like, ooh, I want. There's some things I'd like to say, and I think, no, I can't do that. Well, you have you to know? think of what, um, what outcome do you want? by whatever you're going to tell this person do you want to set them off and you know make make them mad and then you you're in this you know back and forth war or oh i don't want educate that at them all. and be compassionate and you know what what outcome do you want to see out of your response or your um your post you know i just want you know mutual respect i i have talked and you know made comments with people who were like turfs you know they're they're basically yeah. feminists you know yeah. And they have a total, total hatred toward trans people. And I would talk to them and, you know, and I just show respect to them because, you know, I love them for who they are. I'm not trying to tell them the right or wrong. We're not all the same, you know, some of us are really trying hard. And I just, you know, I don't want to hold on to guy stuff. You know, I'm not a guy. Yeah. I never really was, even though I, you know, one thought I was. In fact, you know, it shocked people when I came out because like, who are you? What did you do? Because <laughs> I never, you know, people never really knew me I mean, all my life. Because if I acted like this as a guy, honey, they would walk me up. <laughs> <laughs> well, like you said, you when you were a kid, you there was not even a term for what was going on with you. Like, yeah, I know nobody had a clue. So, and and but you know, again, like I said, there's. Not everybody's, you know, we, we put people in a box and a lot of people think when they see a cisgender, you know, regular cisgender person do something wrong, they say, well, not all cisgender people are like that because I'm not. But when they see a trans person do something bad, they think all trans people are bad. Trans people are immoral and this and that. It's like, no, you know, we're just. Yeah. So I really do. We'll talk about it, but um, I want you on again for some other um, topics. And um, I'm just really glad that I met you. (laughs) Yeah, me too, honey. I really enjoyed talking with you. Yeah, you too.
I hope Jamie's story today made you reflect a little bit and helped you to learn more about the transgender community and exactly what transgender is because I didn't really know myself. And I just wanted to bring this topic on because like I said, I was ignorant in exactly what transgender was. And I believe that education is key when it comes to how and why this community is judged and labeled so much. I'm hoping that bringing a real person's story to the podcast today, that it makes it a little more real for everyone and that it'll generate some kindness and compassion towards people that are transgender. Jamie's just trying to live her life authentically and just wants to be happy just like everyone else. Everyone is in transition. Transgender people are the ones brave enough to practice their authenticity out loud and everyone else can just mind their own karma. So I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. I'm really hoping to get Jamie back on because I really want to talk about Christianity and transgender and also gender reassignment surgery. It's very interesting. So I'm hoping that she'll come back on and talk about those topics. But as always, take what you need, leave what you don't, and always remember to mind your own karma. We'll see you next time.